Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Mark Brackett from the Yale Center, actually the founder and director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. He's also a professor in the Child Study Center of Yale University and the lead developer of Ruler, an evidence-based approach to social and emotional learning that's been adopted by nearly 2,000 pre-K through high schools across the United States and in other countries. Now, if you have ever found yourself, or specifically in the last six months, have found yourself snapping at your loved ones who you are not used to being home with all the time or feeling frustrated and exhausted and stressed with such a cocktail of mixed emotions about trying to be everything to everyone right now, please know, first and foremost, you're not alone. We are all struggling with so many emotions that part of what makes it challenging right now is just being able to show up as our full selves or as our best selves without fully understanding and assessing and exploring what it is that we're feeling. So today I'm excited to be speaking with Mark Brackett about his book, Permission to Feel, which I've been reading on Audible and highly recommend, and about how leaders and really all of us can bring more emotional intelligence to work and to our lives right now. It's so important. Now, as a researcher for over 20 years, Mark Brackett has been focused on the role of emotions and emotional intelligence in learning, decision-making, creativity, relationships, health, and performance. He's published 125 scholarly articles, wow, that's a lot, and received tons of well-deserved awards and accolades for his work and consults regularly with corporations on integrating the principles of emotional intelligence into employee training and product design. Most recently, he co-founded the OG Life Lab, which I thought stood for original gangster Life Lab, but came to find out it's spelled (laughs) O-J-I Life Lab, which is a corporate learning firm that develops innovative digital learning systems on emotional intelligence. He's got a really powerful story And in addition to being an excellent scholar, it's just a profound storyteller. And I highly recommend, I feel like what you hear today, checking out his book, Permission to Feel. It's certainly helping me feel uh, better about my feelings these days, which are meta emotions, as it turns out. All right, let's jump right into my conversation with Mark Brackett. Here we go. Well, thanks so much for being here, Mark. Welcome to the Bust Up Podcast. I'm excited to be here. So I have to say, I've been uh, revisiting your fantastic book, Permission to Feel, and I was listening to the very beginning this morning on Audible when I was recalling just how troubling the statistics are around mental health and well-being, not only for children these days, but really for employees and and our peers, uh, 50% of whom are disengaged at work. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me that all of those statistics were in a pre-pandemic world. That's correct. From your perspective, how do you feel like the stats on mental health care are going to catch up with what's happening to all of our emotional states during this bizarre and uncertain and scary time? Yeah, so we need a couple hours on that one. (laughs) But, um, you know, we know pre-pandemic, you know, about 20% on average of people have anxiety problems. And we know 
now from our research is when you ask people, you know, how are you feeling, whether you're a teacher, a parent, or a CEO of a company, anxiety is the number one word. For kids, it's a little bit more um, all over the place from frustrated to bored, to overwhelmed, to scared, to anxious. And so the, the mental health data, you know, show that anywhere between three and eight times more anxiety than pre-COVID. Wow. And so that's serious. And so not only do we have, you know, a crisis around racism, a crisis around, you know, a virus, but we also have a mental health crisis now. I, I wonder if we can talk briefly for just a moment about emotional intelligence overall. Sure. Right? Because how on earth did you find yourself leading an institute devoted to emotional intelligence at a revered Ivy League institution. Mm -hmm. I can say that as a byproduct of Brown University myself. That is not an easy crowd to convince the importance of talking about feelings uh, with. So you, you really set yourself up here. I, I wonder if we can back up and say, how did you find yourself in that position? And, and what is emotional intelligence really? Well, you know, how I ended up here is, you know, a 30 year journey, I think. Um, well, not, I think it was, uh, and, you know, tough childhood, as you know, from even the opening of my book, I was abused as a child, um, and had a lot of bullying in my childhood. I was blessed to have an uncle who happened to be interested in feelings, who happened to be a teacher, who happened to be writing a curriculum to teach kids about feelings through history, who happened to be going to graduate school in the hometown uh, where I was. And he just sat with me oftentimes as I was a teenager, just talking about my feelings and asking me about what caused them. And I argue that he was the first adult to give me the permission to feel, right? The title of my book. And I think so many of us don't have that permission. You know, we go through life suppressing, denying, ignoring, or yelling and screaming and acting out because we don't feel that we can be our true, authentic feeling selves. And that, you know, interaction in my early childhood with my uncle led me to pursue psychology, get a doctorate in emotional intelligence. Um, and so lo and behold, I came to Yale about 18 years ago as a postdoc with the now president of Yale, Peter Salovey. And so I was very lucky to um, get that position with him. And then over the last 20 years, you know, turn that into a professorship and, and then open the center. And so I feel very blessed. You know, if you looked at my childhood and in my experiences, you'd say like, I don't see how this guy's going to end up being a professor of emotional intelligence. Well, it's a good reminder of the power of actually working through emotions, and how much of a difference that can really make. I wonder if you could tell me more about the value of emotional intelligence, especially in a hyper-stressed, hyper-productive world where a lot of families right now are just struggling to take care of our basic human needs and put food on the table. Why should we care about talking about our feelings and what does it even really mean to be emotionally intelligent? A you got to give yourself and other people the permission to have all their feelings. And I just think that's unique because we are brought up thinking that there are good emotions and there are bad emotions, right? Happy, contentment, good, anger, anxiety, depression, sad, bad. And so to everyone listening, that is a fallacy. 
You know, I, I'm a guy with anxiety. I've had anxiety from as far back as I can remember, and I've done just fine. I have healthy relationships. I run a center, I, but I've learned strategies on how to use my anxiety wisely. And so that's what emotional intelligence is. It's developing the skills to learn how to use all of your emotions wisely. And so then you might say, well, what's the pathway? Well, the first is what I call becoming an emotion scientist. And so you got to be curious and open and reflective about your own and other people's feelings. You got to have a growth mindset around this. Like I always ask people during these times, how many of you have failed at regulating your emotions with your family or at work, you know, over the last couple of months? Did you have that experience at all? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I was not my best self accessing my wise mind at all times. I mean, I can I can name, you know, 300 times where I'm like, "Mark, come on, don't say it." And then I just say it, right? And I'm like, "I cannot believe I just said that." Or, "Don't do it. Don't do it." And then I do it. That means that we have to have a growth mindset around the acquisition of these skills, meaning cuz we're going to fail horrifically. No one expect to be living in quarantine with their family full-time working and being at home and list goes on. And so just be open to the experience and understand you're going to fail and just have an attitude that, you know what? I failed today. I'm going to do better tomorrow. Right. And seeing that as part of an evolution that we can actually practice. I think I read on your blog at markbracket.com a relatively recent piece on being our best self during challenging times, which really hit home for me. And you talk about this strategy in your book as well. Tell us a little bit about what meta moments are and and how we can all be calling upon them during these hard times. Sure. So let me jump first to the skills and then we'll pull them into the meta moment. Perfect. So, right, you give yourself permission to feel, you become an emotion scientist because you know that emotions are information, right? They help you make better decisions. They help you become more you know, engaged in relationships. They help you with your mental health. They help you with your creativity and your performance. Like we know that already. You got to just believe us. And whenever people will be like, you know, I don't know, like this fluffy feely feeling stuff. I'm like, just read chapter two. Yeah. I got more research in there than you could ever read in terms of why emotions matter. Like you, it's not, it's like, You may have an opinion, which is fine, but it has nothing to do with science. And so then it's about learning the skills. And that's why we have this method that we call ruler. Recognizing emotions in self and others, like really identifying how am I feeling? How are you feeling? Understanding emotions. Like, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? What's the difference between anger and disappointment? Now, I'm not going to put you on the spot for that, but you know most people get it wrong. People don't know that anger is about injustice and disappointment is about unmet expectations. It's a great difference to clarify for folks. I definitely hadn't realized that before you illuminated that for me in the book. Or the difference between anxiety and stress and fear and pressure. Right. I, mean, I give you a harder one now. But so like stress, right, is about too many demands, not enough resources. Mm. anxiety is about uncertainty. Fear is about danger. Mm. And it really matters to get granular so that you can label your feelings accurately. And that way you're communicating exactly what's going on for you. Mm -hmm. Because if you can't communicate your true inner experience, then it's hard to know what to do with your feelings. Right. 
expressing and regulating emotions is the last two skills. So recognize, understand, label. Expressing has to do with knowing how and when to express emotions. And I know, you know, that you work with, you know, in workplaces a lot. And so there's a lot of power issues in the workplace about who gets to express emotions. Mm. People of greater power have greater permission per se to express whatever they want to feel. Um, Gender differences in terms of um, what's acceptable, a quote unquote, or not acceptable, you know, in terms of expressing. Um, There's racial differences in expression, right? People of certain races have greater privilege in expressing anger than in other races. Mm -hmm. Um, Really just the basic example is, you know, white guys like myself, can express anger in the workplace with very different repercussions than a black man can. That goes as early as uh, kindergarten and preschool, by the way. Wow. Um, black children are, are suspended for less severe infractions than white children in preschools. And then there's the last skill of regulating emotion, like the strategies that we use to manage our own emotions and help people to manage theirs. And honestly, over the last couple of months, I think I spent more time doing webinars and trainings in emotion regulation than I have in my entire career because, mm. you know, I had a father reach out to me because he goes, Mark, I'm a father. I'm a lawyer. I am my son's teacher. I'm also the tech coordinator for the school now. I'm the cafeteria worker. Like I'm doing everything. And he's like, you know, how am I supposed to survive? And I, I remember saying to him, like, take it from a different lens. Just think of how creative you are and how talented you are. (laughs) He didn't appreciate that one, but anyway. (laughs) Well, I, I have a lot of questions about the ruler process because even the very first one of recognizing came up for me in a workshop I did today with a series of international education, higher education professionals who clearly are working in a stressful environment now with higher ed full of uncertainty with global travel suspended, that's really where they mm-hmm. their work intersects. And a gentleman asked after we talked through coping strategies for stress management, he said, why is it so hard for me to tell when I am stressed? Because I have not, I, I don't have that first ability to really recognize what the feelings are that I'm experiencing. Interesting. And I I wonder if be, it's partly related to how we condition men versus women or boys and girls to either talk about our feelings or not talk about our feelings. My husband, Brad, is very much a utilitarian when it comes to feelings. And he was raised to say or to really think, well, I'm not going to bring this up, this negative emotion up unless there's a good reason to. Um, and so I just wonder for folks listening who are like, I know I'm feeling some feelings right now because regulation is not going so well and I'm snapping at people maybe I don't mean to snap at, uh, but I'm having trouble identifying if it's anxiety or stress or disappointment or, or grief. What do you think's behind that? Well, I think it goes back to everything that we've been talking about in terms of we deny ourselves the permission to feel. And in doing so, you know, it builds up like a debt Mm. and saddens me, you know, that, you know, the adults who were raising us and teaching us didn't give us the permission to feel in many instances Mm. because they didn't have the permission themselves. Right. And so like my mother was a wonderful woman, 
you know, if I have anxiety, she had five times the amount of anxiety I have, but she didn't have to cope at all with her anxiety. So she would say things like, don't tell me everything that's happening. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. Yeah. That was when I was a kid. And I remember thinking to myself, you're having a breakdown. Like I'm the one being bullied, by the way. <laughs> right. And then my father was the opposite. He was, had a tremendous amount of anger, but also was very much about um, toughening up because he was like a tough guy from the uh, Bronx, New York. And so he say, son, you got to toughen up. Now, the truth is, as I speak to you now as a 51-year-old professor, I also have a fifth degree black belt. I'm not a tough guy. <laughs> like, I don't even know what it is. Like, what is a tough, like John yeah, Wayne, is yeah. that a tough guy? Like, what is that? Yeah. And so like, we have all these mindsets about like, like your husband may have or others may have that, you know, sorry to pick on your husband now, That's but okay. um, you know, like I'm a successful business person. Like I can't be seen as having anxiety or being stressed out because the reason why is people will think I'm weak. And to me, that's the sad story also is that we, we um, equate these strong, unpleasant feelings like anxiety and fear and stress with being weak. I think there is that perception issue. And I think there's a burden fear as well. This, I don't want to be a burden to someone else. I should be able to handle this on my own, uh, which is antithetical to you know, talk therapy <laughs> and just well, in antithetical general. to the way we're wired as human yeah. beings. Yeah. You know, yeah. my friend here, you know, we, we talk about this, like, think about that. Think about the message for that, a, for a child mm-hmm. right, who's being bullied or abused, God forbid. And they're brought up by a parent who thinks it's a burden for them to share their feelings. Right. What do you think of the repercussions there? Yeah. Mm. Or what do you think it is for a couple mm-hmm. who's been together for how many years, but they haven't really talked about how they really feel because they're afraid of how their partner might respond to their feelings. Mm. And so you live this weird fake life. Yeah. I think a lot of people live that way. Don't I you? think so. I meet a lot of people that feel that way. They they all send they all send me emails asking me. <laughs> I always am a little suspicious of folks until they level with me with some sort of vulnerability. I'm like, are you just living a fake life this whole time? I think social media has perpetuated that problem for what it's worth. But Brad and I joke when we first met, um, there's a little John Mulaney stand-up bit about dating Jewish women. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen this, but um, my father's Jewish and I've inherited from my familial heritage the great tradition of kvetching. And John Mulaney, <laughs> right. John Mulaney being Irish Catholic says, when I was dating non-Jewish women, it would be like, what's the matter? And she'd go, you wouldn't understand. And he's like, what am I supposed to do with that? Now that I'm dating and he eventually married this Jewish woman, you know, I know exactly how she's feeling. She walks in the door and says, my stomach hurts. My back is not straight and I'm having a mm-hmm. terrible day. What's your day been like? And we joke that that's sort of the evolution of our relationship that's on funny. one another. <laughs> I just right. wonder. I say like I'm tired, I'm bloated, I'm irritable, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed. Anything else you want to know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so finding the balance, I think, of expressing and regulating, right, which are which are important. Uh, well, but the thing is here, you have to get at what your what this the theme is here, right? And we have to really mm. unpack it, which is that that expressing means letting it all hang out. 
And that's not what expressing is. It's about discerning the right time, the right place and how much to share. Right. But if you realize that you feel inhibited in sharing, that's where the problem is. Yeah. Right. You can't be in a relationship where you don't feel like if it's important to you. Right. That you can express how you're feeling. Yeah. And I think those are different relationships call for different regulation or a different calculation internally in terms of when is it safe to be vulnerable. Hopefully it's safe for us to be vulnerable with our teams, but we know that psychological safety in workplaces is not a guarantee. So my final question for you here is, given the massive uncertainty we're all navigating right now and how much anxiety that's provoking for everyone, what kind of emotional intelligence do you want to see more people bringing to work? And, and what would that call to action be uh, for, for leaders, especially in creating safe and brave spaces for folks to show up vulnerably and perfectly and emotionally at work? So two things, going back to that meta moment that I want to unpack for you in a minute, is that we do have to try to show up as our best selves. So for me, you know, my mother-in-law was living with us for a while, like six months. Um, my partner is from Panama and we had a hard time getting her back to Panama because of COVID. Yeah. And after like a month, it was like, fine, you know, Abuelita's here. And then, you know, five months, we're like, all right, like, do I look at you in the hallway? Um, do we have to have dinner together? Like, because we're not going to like, we want to eat different things and we have different rules around salt and sugar. I mean, I'm Jewish too, so you know what I'm talking about. That's so great. And yeah. so the joke, you know, it was like, all right, Mark, you're the director of the Center for Emotional Intelligence. <laughs> How would that person respond? How is that person going to show up for dinner? Mm. And what I liked about that model and what shows in our research is that by activating that best self, like the person you want to be seen as, the person you want to be experienced, like the person, you know, how you want to be talked about mm. and just pausing and think like, how do I want to be seen? How do I want to be talked about? How do I want to be experienced right now? Be true. That, that doing that exercise helps you to show up um, and be, you know, more resilient um, kinder, more compassionate, and the list goes on. Right. And that could just be a breath, right? That can just be taking a breath, thinking about the intention behind what I'm about to say before I say it, which has been a weakness of mine, but a skill that is, it's is hard. hard to develop, but is important. It's hard to do it in the moment. That's why right. it's, a good, it's good to be a preventionist, as I call them. Mm. So that means like you secretly have these words like you know, by your bedstand or in the, by the mirror in the bathroom. And you're like, all right, as a mom, as a husband, as a wife, as a mm -hmm. whoever, I want to be kind, compassionate, caring, patient, loving. And you just look at that before you go down to breakfast as mm -hmm. a way to prime you to be in that mm -hmm. place. I love that. The second thing I would just say is that you should not only want to know how people are feeling, but know how they like to feel, mm. how they hope to feel. Because that's going to be an indication of what might be missing in the workplace. So if I did this, you know, with, I've done this many times with different companies and people will say, I want to feel more respected. I want to feel heard. I want to hear, feel valued, appreciated, or I want to be empowered. Or I want to feel inspired. And just listening as a leader to what people are saying they want to feel, 
and then finding out what is needed in that organization to make those feelings become a reality. Because emotions are driving productivity in the workplace. And if people aren't feeling the emotions that they want to feel, like respected and heard and valued, they're spending 50% of their day on social media instead of working. They're gossiping more than you want them to. And they're looking for another job in their spare time. And they're stealing the post-its on the way out the door. You know what I mean? It's not a good return on investment. They engage in more unethical (laughs) behavior. It's interesting because I think the innate response from far too many leaders, and this is so human too, is defensiveness. When we hear from our employees, I want to feel more respected. And you're like, what do you mean? Isn't that what the salary Mm -hmm. is for? Isn't that what this retreat was all about? And what that tells us really is, Instead of trying to disagree with someone else's emotional state, how can I validate it and then internalize it as an indication, as you mentioned, for what is actually missing and how I can bridge that gap? But that requires getting beyond defensiveness and arguing with someone's feelings, right? It just, you know, if you want to take emotions seriously at home, at school, in the workplace, you got to make time to process them. You got to learn the skills. You got to take these meta moments. It's got to be integrated, or as I say, it's got to be infused into the way leaders lead, uh, people work, the way we hire, you know, the way we schedule breaks. Like it just has to be in the ethos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if done right, I think even amidst a crisis, when there are bottom line uh, concerns, the return on investment of trust, of loyalty, of people who feel included is pretty significant. Well, you need this more now than ever before. And as I say, always, you know, if you're on vacation, chilling out, life is good. There's no virus. Everybody's getting along. Like, honestly, like who cares if you have emotional intelligence, but yeah, <laughs> it's when someone kicks the sand in your face. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I'm activated. This is yep. when our true emotional selves comes out oftentimes. And that's when we have to rely on that set of skills. Yeah. I've used this analogy where I feel like when we here at Boss Up, which is a very small business, three full-time employees, uh, we've just brought on three part-time employees recently, but you know, when we felt backed into a corner as a small business, the proudest moment for me was realizing that in the face of significant hardship, like how are we going to exist in six months? My team and I felt like Charlie's Angels backing into each other's backs, you know, ready to tackle mm-hmm. the threat as a team. And to me, you know, saying, being able to honestly say that I feel like this global pandemic and economic crisis has brought my team and I together is not something I thought I'd be able to say. And that, that I think is my proudest uh, achievement for, for still being kicking, you know, as a small business owner. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Tell us where folks who want to learn more about Permission to Feel, your fantastic book, your writing, your work can catch up and keep up with you. Sure. So I think my website is the best place. And that's just my name, Mark with a C, M-A-R-C, bracket, B-R-A-C-K-E-T-T.com. And there you can find all sorts of things like my book, my blog, um, you can learn about our company, OG Life Lab, which is about teaching emotional intelligence to people in the workplace. It's a digital learning systems tool and about our work in schools. And um, yeah, so I've got everything there and you can just go there and 
dive in and pick what interests you. Awesome, Mark. Thanks so much. I'll include that link in today's show notes. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. If you loved what you heard today, check out the show notes with tons of links to related resources, including that article on Mark's blog. And now it's time to wrap up today's show with a celebration, as we call it here at Boss Stop, our boss move of the week. And this week, we are celebrating Susan, who shared this in the Courage community recently. Quote, I got a great job today, great salary and great benefits, but mostly a great opportunity to be a part of an innovative team and do some great work. I've been searching since I was furloughed slash laid off in May and relocated back to my hometown in August. So it feels great to be back on this track of normalcy. I cannot wait to rock this. Thanks to everyone here for support and advice. And it's just great to be a part of this awesome team of bosses. Susan! Yes. I First of all, I see 115 likes on that in the Courage community as of last our last counting of it. Uh, and I just want to say we are cheering you on. Congrats on your, not only your achievement, but just your resiliency. I know all y'all job seekers out there who are feeling the sting of applying to an endless array of job postings and just never hearing a response back can be such a frustrating slog. And as Mark Brackett talked about today, uncertainty creates anxiety. So if you are in that boat, please hear Susan's story today, not as something to be rubbed in your face, but as a reminder that your resilience, your continued perseverance can and will pay off. I know it can feel hard, but you are so not alone. And lately in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook, we're not just celebrating our wins. We're really talking very candidly about what Bracket talks about in terms of negative emotions or anxiety or worry or fear. And those are A-OK to bring to our Courage community, too. We can't feel courageous until we talk about our fears and we talk about what's holding us back. So congratulations, Susan, on your boss move. And most importantly, congrats to the whole community for cheering Susan on and for shepherding her throughout this process. If you have a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want me to unpack on an upcoming Bossed Up podcast episode, call it in right now at the Bossed Up podcast hotline. That's our voicemail box. Don't worry, we won't pick up on you, I promise. Just call in and leave an anonymous voicemail if you want us to tackle a career conundrum coming up on an episode. You can call our hotline at 910-668-BOSS or 2677, or you can always email us a voice memo at info at bossedup.org. I know these are uncertain times. I know it is hard to stay hopeful, but we here at Bossed Up are not just here to cheer you on, but here to really, truly support you every step of the way. So for my job seekers, for my aspiring leaders, if you are in need of support and resources, you know where to go, bossedup.com for our Level Up Leadership Accelerator, which kicks off October 5th. And we still have a handful of spots available for our Leadership Accelerator, as well as Hired our Job Search Accelerator program, which we have made five new spots available for every single month at the top of the month. Once they're sold out, they're sold out. So don't sleep unhired. If you're a job seeker, head to bossup.org to get all the details. Let's all keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And let's carry forth the motto of America's first Black Women's Association and really lift as we climb. 